your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about repressed desires. Yes, a wonderful Freudian take on psychology is what this is, but also there's a lot to build on. You know, the fact is repression is a part of our brain that actually stores things in our subconscious, which means it's not at the front of our mind. It's actually subconscious, and a lot of it has to do with desires, like sexual desires or or uh, secrets about ourselves or par- parts of our past that we don't want to remember or conveniently forget. Our brain has a way of repressing those memories in order to store them in a place where we don't necessarily touch on them. However, Sometimes, as we're speaking, as we're acting, as we're doing things, those repressed desires come forward, and they actually make themselves conscious. And when that happens, a lot of people get very surprised because it's much out of character from the person you are supposedly uh, being or have posed yourself to believe. So repression is basically what is called a defense mechanism in which people push difficult or unacceptable thoughts out of conscious awareness. And these memories are are the cornerstone of what Freud uh, called psychoanalysis. And and that's the framework of what he, he was building. He believed that people repressed memories that were too difficult to uh, confront, and particularly traumatic memories, and expel them from our conscious thought. And this idea launched a long controversy in the field of psychology. But the notion that people actually repress traumatic memories that can be recovered in therapy has been discredited. There's ample evidence that people remember traumatic experiences, even if they wish they could forget them, and that memory is more malleable than previously believed. And so outside of the repressed memory uh, debate, people may refer to repression colloquially and describe the tendency to push difficult feelings down or avoid confronting certain emotions or beliefs that they may have. You know, someone may be latently gay. However, they live a... uh, you know, heterosexual lifestyle. Somebody may have repressed desires where they may like, uh, you know, bondage or some weird thing like that. But people don't really realize that because that's not how they present themselves in their conscious world. And so some people will bring their subconscious to their conscious and live vicariously through that. And what uh, Carl Jung would call, that would be your shadow self, the, the part of yourself that you never see but other people will see. You know, he and Freud conceived of repression as the root of people's neurosis. And the term he ascribed to mental struggles such as stress or anxiety or depression, he felt these people were treated to, uh, 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 that he believed by recalling these experiences that they repressed into conscious and then confront them in therapy. And this led to a sudden and dramatic outpouring of emotion, which would be called a catharsis. 
and uh, attain some type of insight. And I think there's a lot to say for that. You know, he did a thing called free association where people would lay on a couch and basically not look at him and he would take notes and they would basically free associate their mind uh, to whatever came up or whatever responses were to his questions. But they didn't have a reference point because they weren't staring at another person. You know, Freud believed that that material uh, through the unconscious was still present and could resurface in really disturbing forms. You know, some people have a lack of insight or a lack of understanding or the inability to process and come to terms with uh, repressed material because that material grows roots. And if it's a traumatic memory, it stores itself above the brainstem, which basically means you're in fight or flight whenever you're near that traumatic event in your mind. Anything that reminds you may be a crowd. It could be a sound. It could be a smell. It could be something. But what it does is your brain is positioned to go to fight or flight without thought because you get these automatic triggers to save your life. And repressed thought does that. It stores itself in the traumatic memory place, which drives fight or flight. You know, the, the difference between suppression and repression is also important because uh, suppression is similar to repression. But there's a huge difference. Forgetting is uh, conscious rather than unconscious. Forgetting is a conscious matter rather than an unconscious matter. So suppression refers to the conscious and sometimes more rational decision to put an uncomfortable thing aside and put it away and suppress it. And so that those suppressed uh, thoughts create what's called denial, the idea that you would deny what is actually true. And, and you may want to deal with it later, you may abandon it altogether, but it can be viewed by through suppression as a conscious analog of repression. So that means we know what the truth is, but we never admit what the truth is, or we never want to confront what the truth is. You know, uh, re repression is often confused with another defense mechanism, which is called denial, in which people refuse to admit to certain unacceptable, unmanageable aspects of reality. Even in the face of evidence to the contrary, denial involves a refusal to admit the truth, while repression involves unconscious forgetting. And so, nonetheless, denial and repression often work together and may be difficult to untangle. And that is a challenge sometimes in therapy. So sexual repression is when the ability to express your sexuality is completely thwarted which can lead to feelings of guilt and shame and frustration and anger. So that distorted rage resulting from sexual repression is often directed at helpless victims rather than the people and the institutions such as religious institution or, or medical figures, you know, that, that champion the ideas of sexual repression. And so the notion of repressed memories can create Criminal activities can create rape, can create all kinds of situations where victims are victimized sexually simply because someone has some repressed desire and they generate, uh, you know, they generate a lot of problems. And the belief that traumatic memories were repressed and that psychologists could restore them led to recovered memory therapy, which there is a lot of problems with that because recovered memory therapy does not necessarily mean that you're recovering real memories. It could be memories that you manufacture 
And so there's a real problem with calling that real and truthful sometimes when you do that kind of therapy. So a lot of people have backed off on that because that can manufacture facts that are not facts, realities that are not realities. And in, 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 in reality, those distortions can cause more damage to a person's brain. You know, recovered memory has been discredited, and a lot of therapists and patients still believe the phenomenon is possible. That's great, but that doesn't mean it's a good, honest, ethical form of treatment. So, there's, you know, uh, uh, memory can be very unreliable in the truth, and events of people's past may sometimes come back to them in sudden recollection, but there's no evidence that this happens with traumatic memories. Indeed, uh, uh, perspective research following people after traumatic event finds that victims often want to forget their experiences, but they cannot. And the truth is also when people experience traumatic memories, they, they, they absorb those memories through different forms of their sensory perceptions. So it may be sound, it may be darkness, it may be uh, a smell, it may be a, you know, a something they say, it, it could be something that's being done, it could be a tone. It could be all kinds of different things that the person remembers, but the memory is filtered through whatever sensory perception the person need to most use to survive the situation. And, and memories are just not always accurate. And they're often sensory and emotional impressions that are filtered through our sensory perceptions. So it's blurred by our imagination because what we do is we, if we don't have a full memory of us through only a sensory perception, we will fill in the gaps for our other sensory perceptions that may not have been as sharp. And that is done in our beliefs, in our understandings, in our imagination. We fill in the gaps and then we call it fact. And so our, our brains can pull all kinds of stunts on us that distort our realities and actually make us even more traumatized. Also, uh, sometimes false memories can emerge because people might associate thoughts with something positive or negative. So there could be a false association with what people have in their minds rather than what actually happened to them. And also, there's also a widespread belief in repressed traumatic memories persist among uh, uh, some people in psychology. So uh, many people believe that traumatic memories can be forgotten, repressed, and suppressed. But, uh, you know, when we do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, to treat trauma, uh, which can be considered controversial, but I believe it works extremely well because I do it. But um, some of these memories come back even stronger. They fill in the blanks for the brain when we do EMDR because the brain actually can recall and is working off of areas of the brain that it hasn't touched in a while. And so memories oftentimes come forward, including feelings with the EMDR, which relieves the stress, which is good. And it also can relieve the trauma. So, um, you know, if we think about it, the controversy and the confusion surrounding repressed mem memories also plays havoc in the courtroom. And so many criminal cases have been based on witnesses' testimony of recovered repressed memories, often or alleged childhood sexual abuse. In some jurisdictions, the statute of limitations to child abuse cases and even extended to accommodate 
repressed memories. And so we have to be really careful in walking through how repressed memories are used and how we actually tap into them. But the truth is, you know, repression is a basic ego defense and it's fragile. And, and it's one of these ego defenses that if you think about it, you have your persona, which is your ego, how you present, how people see you. That is what repression uh, protects you from damaging, is your ego defense. However, there is your soul, and your soul is separate from that. And what we have to understand is the ego, the persona that we create, oftentimes is not in line with our soul. And that means that as we live a separate life in our ego and how we present, the farther you reach that beyond who you really are, the more incongruent you become and the more repression you have to create because your soul is not matching up with who you are in your persona, in your, in your ego that we operate from. So we have to be very careful. How and very insightful how we go about life. If you want to have a lot of uh, repression, then create an ego and put all your energy there without getting into what is called your soul. Now, what your soul is made of is compassion. All compassion, compassion, compassion. So when our ego does bad things, Oftentimes it will go back to our soul, and if it takes accountability for the bad things, that's because it tapped into the soul and realized it needed to be more compassionate. So many times people will waver between doing good things and bad things simply because their ego is not in line with their soul. And I don't mean to talk so deep, but I think you all understand these concepts. So repressed material uh, through the unconscious is no less present. And it can resurface in disturbing forms because sometimes a person can simply not have that memory for a long period of time, but all of a sudden they're watching some TV show or they're watching some movie and they're exposed to something that lines up with where they have been traumatized and now they can be re-traumatized because now that material starts flooding forward that they have repressed and tried to keep away from who they are. And many people have a hard time because once that pouring of a traumatic memory is triggered and comes forward, our concentration's affected, we're irritable, we're anxious, we have insomnia, we have nightmares, we have depression, we, we become very maladaptive and destructive. Uh, trying to cope with anger and aggression because we have betrayed ourselves by not having that material processed properly. Now that we're repressed it and now that it's coming forward, it's almost like living a big secret about yourself that you've just discovered. And so a lot of people go through a lot of problems once they get into that material if it's not processed properly. I would advise that somebody enter therapy when they come up to a repressed memory or triggered by that so that they can assimilate the memory into who they are. You know, if if uh, if you're thinking about, you know, living in a life full of secrets, there is a grave, grave impact to that. We want to be honest. We want to be truthful. We want to face all of our demons if we can in this life so that we don't uh, disorient and distort who we are as people. Because the more we repress, the more that repression 
uh, uh, sneaks into our thoughts and sneaks into our behavior and sneaks into everything that we do because we have what's called a rebellious spirit. And if we try to deny something in ourselves, there's a part of ourselves that we will rebel against ourselves. And that is called self-destruction. And a lot of people do self-defeating things because they have too much repressed desires underneath themselves. So regression and repression, excuse me, is the unconscious blocking of unpleasant emotions, impulses, memories, thoughts of your conscious mind. And, and, And so we need to understand that that content is just like a teapot. And if you keep heating it and keep heating it, it's going to boil and it's going to blow. And it's going to blow usually at a time when you did not expect it. It could be one simple thing said to you, one disrespect that is thrown your way that finally hits that temperature of the teapot and that repression just blows out. And that is also an ingredient of what is called passive aggressive. And so, you know, it's like the top of an iceberg that you can see above water represents the conscious mind. But the part of the iceberg that's submerged below the water but is still visible is the pre-conscious. And the bulk of the iceberg that lies underneath the waterline represents the unconscious. So we may not be aware of what lies in the unconscious But its contents can still affect our behavior in a number of ways because they influence our decisions. They influence our emotional impulsivity. That's why ADHD people have such a hard time with emotional impulses. They have lots of embarrassing, humiliating things that they've done in their life, and they repress it and repress it and repress it, but it still comes forward as they repress, they create more content that makes them more impulsive and incongruent with who they present themselves to be. So, you know, we need to understand that there's also signs that can be read in a person of repression. High blood pressure, skin conditions, fatigue, obesity, headaches, dizziness, back, neck, chest, abdominal pain, These are physical symptoms called somatic symptoms that actually come with the idea that a person has a lot of repressed thoughts. Once again, high blood pressure, skin conditions, fatigue, obesity, headaches, dizziness, backache, neckache, chest, abdominal pain. These all come somatically with too much repressed content in our minds. Repression can lead to feelings of stress of anxiety, so we feel like our life's out of control, we're living in fear, and then there comes depression, which is these expectations that we would be healthy that never get met. And so there's some evidence accepting negative emotions rather than repressing or suppressing them could help people respond better to stress and contribute to their health psychologically. And there also may be some behavioral signs that someone is repressing memories or thoughts and emotions. They might have difficulty talking about their thoughts and feelings or becoming defensive when you ask them about it. And that's your typical passive aggressive person. They might feel numb or take unconscious action, subconscious actions such as drinking, alcohol, immersing themselves in social media to avoid difficult feelings. And yes, we have all of these escapes nowadays. We have so So many different escapes and we're all so good at it. But the problem is those repressions will come forward at some point subconsciously, unconsciously, pre-consciously, 
consciously, but they will come out. And you have to understand that that it, it's kind of like spitting in the wind if you decide to live through repression. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about more of these coping skills and more of understanding of how these things are discovered in our language and in our actions. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. You know, it's pretty amazing. We live in this day and age where we have what are called gene base, where people can actually look up their genes, look up, see who they're actually related to. And it's pretty amazing that a lot of these uh, old people aren't quite aware that uh, their their genes can be broken down and people can actually identify brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles that may may or may not be in the past that you may or may not know that are actually there. Uh, and it's pretty interesting that repression is a way that the mind can actually deal with difficult thoughts and emotions. And so there are some cases that that it is helpful. You know, uh, but unfortunately, you know, when when your children actually discover their genes and actually discover who they're related to, all your repressed past uh, secrets about who or what you were with or what you created uh, happen to come forward. And some people don't have the wherewithal to actually admit and speak the truth about what they have done or who your actual parents are or who your actual father is or who your actual mother is. It's pretty amazing. But uh, these secrets can be held held for life, and uh, and nowadays, now that we live in this uh, day of social media and, and day of Facebook and the day of all this communicating and Twitters and TikToks and all that stuff, people are connecting in real and and meaningful and some very meaningless ways. And so the truth is, secrets of repression uh, oftentimes get discovered. You know, there's there's an old saying that there's there's several things. There's three things that are for sure in this life. The sun will come out, the moon will come out and the truth will come out. And the deal is when we deal with repression, we have to understand that 
we cannot keep every secret in our life. Some, so at some way, somehow, some people are able to find the truth about us and about our past. And so, you know, distorting reality through repression most often can help improve psychological and social functioning in the short term. And it also people who have what is known as a repressive coping style tend to experience less depression and cope better with pain. But when that tidal wave comes forward, oh, my God. That's where they come into problems. You know, other research into repressive coping shows that more commonly in older people, suggesting that it's something that develops over time. It's also associated with better well-being for some old people. However, repression can be used to avoid confronting difficult experiences and feelings, and this can also have meaningful consequences on our mental health and on our physical health and definitely on our relationships with others. You know, every conflict you will ever have is going to be based on a trust issue. If you want to have a difficult life, have trust issues in your life. If you don't want to have as difficult a life as you could have, the best thing to do is value trust. If you want to have a good marriage, value trust. Value integrity. Integrity is who you are when you're with other people and when you're not with other people. If we have that, as we get older, we tend to be able to draw more people of wisdom, of goodness into our life. People that don't manage it end up losing relationships to the point where they end up being alone with CNN or NBC or Fox News or something else like that. You know, uh, there's also research has reported that the idea that selective forgetting is one way that people block awareness of unwanted thoughts and memories. And, and one way that occurs is through what is referred to as retrieval, which is induced forgetting. A retrieval induced forgetting occurs when recalling certain memories causes other related information to be forgotten. So repeatedly calling for some memories might lead other memories to become less accessible because they're incongruent with the other memory. So if it doesn't complement the other memory, then what we tend to do is only remember certain parts that our ego can accept and blend and assimilate and leave out the parts that it cannot. And that, unfortunately, is a part of our humanness. And so traumatic or unwanted memories, for example, might be forgotten by repeated retrieval of more positive memories surrounding it. So we may remember something funny, but we may not remember something traumatic that happened at the same time. You know, Freud believed that dreams were one way to peek into the unconscious mind. Now, by analyzing the content of dreams, the literal events that take place in a dream, he believed that we could learn more about the latent content of the dream or the unconscious meanings. Repressed feelings may pop up in fears and anxieties and desires that we experience in the dreams. So what's interesting is repressed emotion is very much so a part of what a dream construct is. In the delta stage of sleep, the REM stage of sleep when we have eye movement, that stage of sleep is about repressed emotions from the previous day. So what your brain will do is it will construct different, different types of dreams, different types of scenarios, different types of people, 
all of it may not even associate to each other. It just rolls from one situation to another. But what basically happens is the dream constructs that that stuff to elicit repressed emotions from the previous day so that you, in the morning when you wake up, you feel a lot clearer, hopefully. You know, and, and so these repressed feelings, these repressed fears, anxieties, desires, are what our dreams are trying to release in our brain so it can be more healthy. You know, there's a thing called a Freudian slip of the tongue. And it's another example of how repressed thoughts and feelings can make themselves known. Freud believed mistaken slips of the tongue could be very revealing, often showing uh, what we really think or feel about something on an unconscious level. What's interesting is Freud used to smoke cigars. As a matter of fact, he died of uh, throat cancer. And so, uh, but people would compliment, comment on him, especially other psychologists, about the fact that he would smoke a cigar. And what did that mean about him? What did that mean about him sexually? And then Freud, of course, would uh, say, well, sometimes... A cigar is just a cigar. Okay, so he even denied his own repression there, which we don't know if that was repression. But it's interesting. That's called a Freudian slip. These feelings may be repressed. They have a way of sneaking out when we least expect it. You know, calling your romantic partner the name of someone you work with might just be a simple mistake. But Freud would suggest that it might be a sign that you have repressed sexual desires for that coworker. Also, there's this thing called the Oedipus complex, and that's a part of his psychosexual developmental theories. He suggested that children go through a process during the genital stage where they initially view their same-sex parent as a rival of the opposite sex parents' affections. In order to resolve the conflict, they repress the feelings of aggression and instead begin to identify with their same-sex parent. For boys, these feelings are known as the Oedipal complex, while for the analogous feelings of young girls, it's called the Electra complex, based on the stories of Oedipus and Electra in Greek uh, writing. You know, phobias can be an example of how a repressed memory might continue to exert an influence on behavior. For example, a young child is bitten by a dog. They later develop a severe phobia of dogs, but may have no memory of when or how this originated. And they have repressed painful memory of the fearful experience with the dog, so they're unaware of exactly where their fear came from, but they're afraid of dogs. And so that is repressed memory and how it can actually influence as an example. There's also the notion of repressed memories or the existence of memories that are so painful or traumatic that they're kept out of conscious awareness. And that has also been a controversial topic because let's say someone is violently raped. How can that affect somebody in their life? Well, maybe it's going to affect every part of their intimacy with anybody that they want as a uh, permanent partner in their life or a committed partner in their life. That may affect every part of their sexual desire. It actually may uh, affect their desire to be homosexual or heterosexual simply based on some traumatic sexual experience or bisexual or whatever. You never know. But the repression is frequently used in psychology and it's considered a loaded controversial concept and it's long served as the idea 
of psychoanalysis. Yet there's a lot of questioning and a lot of work that has to be done to understand how repression plays a role in people's life because our brains are complex, our, plain, our brains are malleable. There are many gray areas to repression. There's some black and white that are severe, but most of it is just gray matter in our brain of memories that are vague and maybe distorted based on time, based on the lack of thinking. And sometimes those can come really sharp back into the spotlight. And when they do, that creates a tidal wave. It's almost like grieving. When you have a repressed memory that comes forward and suddenly you remember that and suddenly you're triggered by that, there is a loss in your life of a part of your life that you did not remember. And now you want to spend all your time trying to reconstruct that period. Unfortunately, we may not have all the facts. We may not have all the details because if that memory was brought forward through only one or two sensory perceptions, it's going to be distorted when that repressed memory comes forward. And so we have to be really careful with all that. You know, uh, uh, people sometimes experience recovery of repressed childhood memories during the course of, of therapy. And this happens oftentimes when we do EMDR. Um, and, and so it happens in cognitive behavioral therapy where things actually come forward, where as you examine certain situations and you start to peel them back, the brain may recover some of those memories, which actually can free them up and release the trauma and the stress and the triggers that we have tied to those particular memories subconsciously. And, 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 and also people develop post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's a result of traumatic experiences that cause them to experience a lot of flashbacks. So let's say you went to war and you killed people. And during that time of killing people, you come back to civilization and all of a sudden you have to love people and care for people and you have children, you have family, and all of a sudden you're interacting and loving and caring, but you've killed people. Okay, that's really confusing. Maybe you've been in danger in war. Maybe you've been in a place that's a crowd where a bomb went off or whatever. And now every time you go to Walmart, you freak out. You know, the, the, the thing is, we have to understand that these effects affect us across the board in our life. And if we repress those heavy memories, they come out in our subconscious and they prevent us from fully experiencing and loving our life. We end up coping rather than living. Life is meant to be lived right here, right here in this moment, here, not in the future, not in the past, right here. However, if you have repression, you're going to live in the past. You're going to forecast the future. You're going to catastrophize because that's how your brain develops a construct to keep you safe. However, if you're able to live here, we don't have room for fear. We don't have room for destructiveness because our spirit is fully engaged in the moment that we're in. And that's how we're meant to live our life. One of the key assumptions to classic tradition of psychoanalysis has been that traumatic memories can be repressed. However, most research has found that trauma actually tends to heighten memory of a painful event. Unfortunately, it also tends to repress parts of those memories that we don't want to recall, that we don't want to relive. And this doesn't necessarily mean that memories of these events are completely accurate. Memory distortions are common, especially because the encoding and the storage and the retrieval are prone to a lot of errors. I mean, if you think about it, you may know that you were chased 
by some somebody with a gun, but you may not remember running and you may not remember where you hid and what you did. You may not remember all that because in the time you're trying to exist and fight and live and fear, you are just trying to survive. And so your memory is not going to be so malleable and absorb everything that you're doing while you're trying to survive. It's just trying to survive. And so unfortunately, the memory can recall later on what you did, but that calls for a lot of work. And unfortunately or fortunately, those memories can also affect you, those that, those that you can't remember while you were fighting for your life. You know, with sexuality, some people have sexy thoughts and they bring up excitement and anticipation around past sexual encounters or possible future experiences. You know, lingering on these thoughts might turn you on or lead to masturbation, which is totally normal. But if you're dealing with sexual repression, even the word sex could trigger embarrassment or shame. So maybe you learned that childhood sex was unpleasant. Or, or just for marriage, or your parents may have told you that masturbating or thinking about sex meant you were sinful. We repress those ideas. We push those things down. Oh, sex is just for marriage. Oh, but this person wants to have sex and we're on a date and this is going on. And now, now what do I do? I'm, I'm going to do the sinful thing. So I have sex and all of a sudden I have guilt and shame tied to it because there was a bad construct in my life that uh, sex was unpleasant or just for marriage. So, you know, masturbating and thinking about sex being sinful, if that's what you're going to associate to masturbation, you're going to keep it and repress it when you do that. You're not going to want to talk about it because it's sinful. You know, if we're able to be open and honest about our sexuality and about our person as who we are, and I'm not saying just openly talking about it with anybody and everybody, I'm just saying just being honest with ourselves about those kind of things, you will not squash your natural desires in order to protect yourself. You won't warp your sexuality. Embrace your sexuality, embrace who you are, and embrace the fact that it is a process and not an outcome. All of our sexuality is a process and not an outcome. We live in this day and age of erectile dysfunction. And erectile dysfunction is mostly a mental disorder. Yes, there's chemical parts of it. Low testosterone is a big factor in that. Absolutely. But many times it's the social constructs that we have of sexuality in our brain that shuts down our ability to be turned on and to want to be intimately with somebody. If you fear these thoughts lead you to ignore them entirely as an adult, you might find it difficult to express yourself sexually. Surprise, surprise. When you masturbate or have sex, you might feel bad or guilty afterwards. Because you have all these expectations or maybe the other person has expectations and rates your ability to have sex or you rate yourself ability to have sex. Okay, in the, just the right way that is socially acceptable and proper and all this crap. If you're going to lay all these layers on your sexual impulsivity and your sexual desires, you're going to weight it down and water it down until finally it's not even sexy anymore. You know, sexual frustration also describes a situation where you have having less sex than you'd like, whether in a relationship or between partners. So it's not the same thing as repression. You know, many people experience sexual frustration. You know, that's like restlessness, body tension, frequent sexual thoughts and fantasies. That's often a part 
of what happens when we are sexually repressed. The fact is that some people come to find that marriage is the loneliest place in the world because your partner and you will not have sex. You have too much resentment, which is created by your ego. And the fact is, is that you just don't desire any, each other anymore because nothing is sexy about either one of you at this point. Well, that's in your own head. And if you want to be married successfully, you need to make your partner sexy. And if you want to make your partner sexy, start with a part of their body or their being that you find attractive and work from there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk more about sexual repression. So let's come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about repressed desires, you know. Frustration and repression can occasionally play off each other. And when working through uh, especially years of of repressed sexual desire, you might notice sexual urges you aren't sure how to express. And you want to get better at expressing your sexuality, but haven't quite reached the point where you feel comfortable doing that. So it's normal for the process to take time. So you might notice some frustration in the meantime. What's really interesting is so many people and young people especially are so wanting to identify their self by pronouns and gender identity. But we have to also understand that people are a work in progress. And just because they land in one place at 15 years old doesn't mean they're going to be in the same place when they're 20 years old or when they're 25, or when they're 30. People are a work in progress. 
And that means gender can also be a work in progress. And parents freak out about this stuff, but it's very natural. It just so happens that they're communicating more about this stuff and they're trying to understand it and then come to grips with it. And they don't want to be embarrassed or humiliated by their sexuality. However, we live in a world that there's a lot of guilt and shame and a lot of context and a lot of do's and don'ts about our sexuality. So people tend to associate sexual repression with religious upbringings. Traditional ideas about sexual behavior can stem from other sources. Some caregivers might warn children about sex due to fears of uh, sexually transmitted infections, which are pervasive in our culture. You know, teen pregnancy, sexual trauma in their past. You know, a history of sexual trauma can also uh, factor into repression. Rape, sexual abuse can cause significant, long-lasting emotional pain that if it's never dealt with, if you creep into a marriage of any kind, you might find that sex is a very difficult part of that relationship and a big challenge because you've never faced your sexual trauma or processed it in a way that your brain was able to let it dissipate in power. You know, uh, uh, um, the, the deal is that thoughts of sex might trigger memories and further distress, making it difficult to enjoy or want sex. You know, there's a thing called the pleasure principle. And it's really interesting because you can actually be traumatized and have pleasure at the same time. So let's say you enjoy an experience that the social context says you're not supposed to have, like uh, maybe uh, female and female or male and male or whatever kind of sexual activity. But the bottom line is, is that that kind of stuff, there might have been pleasure in also. And that can be very, very confusing for the brain. It can cause a lot of guilt, a lot of confusion, a lot of shame, because there is a pleasure component to something you're not supposed to have done or do or not ever expected to have done or do. And if you have a lot of bad consensual sex, you might decide all sex is the same and question your desire for a different experience. So maybe everybody's just a person when you're sexual. Maybe you turn off the idea that they're a soul living a human life. Maybe you turn off the fact that they have desires and a sense of wanting to connect. Some people have sex and don't connect at all simply because of their track record of uh, of their consensual sex that they've had in their past. If you decide your urges are unusual, you might bury those thoughts and have a tough time finding a positive sexual relationship. You know, it's just amazing, though, that we repress all these things and repress all these things. But if you repress them and you find a way to have outlets in your life where you do these things, oftentimes the truth will come out and parts of you will come to light. And that's why it's important to understand that trust in a relationship is the binder. You can love someone and not trust them, but when you trust someone, the love will grow. You could have somebody in your life you haven't seen in 10 years and you trust each other. The relationship will grow, grow, grow. So we do ourselves a very big deficit when we have repressed secrets that we try to hide because they creep out and creep out and they destroy our integrity and they can destroy our trust and ability to be trusted. 
they also can create situations where we do things that nobody would ever think you would do, like touching a child or doing something stupid to your own children. Or, you know, it's it's just amazing what repression can cause people to do because they hide it and hide it and hide it. And then all of a sudden they see an opportunity and they jump on it. And boy, the, can that destroy their life immediately. You know, if, if you have not absorbed negative ideas about sex, but some you know some of what you heard from others might make sex seem weird and uncomfortable you know it is a weird topic to talk about it is a weird topic to discuss because it's not logical it's emotional there is no logic to emotions and so an emotional experience oftentimes is a sexual experience and when we do things that are emotional we oftentimes have regret because we make an emotional decision rather than a logical decision. So the deal is before you decide to react, meaning you're going to jump into an emotional situation, you also want to move into the response with, does this person have VD? Do they have some kind of disease? Do they have AIDS? Do they, you know, what's their health? What's something, what am I getting into? You need to get down that line of thinking also before you jump in the sack with other people. You know, beliefs about sex can relate back to the upbringing clearly defined by gender roles. And what's interesting is we all have different uh, generational uh, knowledge that we gain. You know, if you were born in the 60s or the the, the 70s, you've probably been uh, pervasively taught a lot of religion, a lot of religious uh, doctrine about sex, about what you can do and what you can't do, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. You know, it's amazing what we can do to ourselves as far as sex. You also, your sexual orientation may play into repression. Many children learn directly or indirectly that only men or women should have sex with each other. But at the same time, they may be playing around with each other in their bedroom when they spend the night with each other. So we have to, we have to understand that it could be a very confusing thing when we talk about sexual identity and sexual desires. So sex and gender aren't the same thing. But when caregivers invalidate your identity by preventing you from expressing your gender, you may also begin to question other aspects of your nature, like your sexuality. Sexuality, your gender identity, is not necessarily about your sexuality. And that's a hard one for a lot of people to understand. You know, repressed emotions refer to basically emotions that you unconsciously avoid. And these differ from suppressed emotions, which are feelings you purposely avoid because you don't know exactly how to deal with them or how other people will accept them. And say that you and your partner have a fight and decide to break up one evening. You still have to meet with a, an important client the next day, let's say. So you decide to suppress, push aside your feelings until you get home from that meeting. Some pressure can sometimes be a good short-term solution as long as you make sure to address the emotions later on. You know, emotional repression uh, relates to childhood experiences many times. Much of what children learn about behavior and communications comes from their parents, and that's why parents can truly mess up their children by the context in which they plant in their children's minds. You know, uh, uh, so you probably feel pretty comfortable expressing your emotions if your caregivers frequently talked about feelings, encourage you to share experiences that you feel, uh, normalized your positive and negative emotional experience, didn't judge you or criticize your emotional expressions. 
These are all important things for us to have from our parents. You know, you might uh, repress your emotions if if caregivers rarely showed emotion or talked about their feelings. If that's going to happen, you're probably going to repress a lot of different things. Shame and punish you for expressing your emotions, told you your emotions were wrong, denied your experience. Well, that's all going to shape us. It's all going to shape us, and it's all going to play into how we perceive sexuality, marriage, partners, trust, relationships, all of that stuff. If you're showing your feelings in childhood led to distressing or painful act, uh, outcomes, you probably learned it was much safer to repress everything. And as an adult, you might continue to bury strong emotions without realizing what you're doing. And you might also notice that you tend to push even the emotions you do notice aside. And that is where damage happens. And, and and these, you know, some people experience uh, 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 emotions openly. Others tend to hide them. But when hiding your emotions doesn't necessarily mean you're repressing them. There's a lot of debate about repressed emotions, but there's also many definitions. So repression usually refers to the tendency to avoid uncomfortable feelings. You unconsciously push painful feelings and thoughts and memories out of your conscious. This lets you forget them. You don't have to live with them anymore. They're, they are fired. They're, you're divorced from them. You know, repressed emotions can be a way of protect your mind from painful situations. And this can happen, especially when a child who is abused by a parent or a caregiver or somebody, you know, they might repress the memories of abuse and their emotions because they have to carry on a relationship with their parent as a parent. That can be confusing in itself. And it's very distorting, and it really messes up a lot of people. So repression can comes from denied feelings, ignoring feelings, avoiding communication, avoiding touch, distrust. That's why it's very important for a child to be able to process in an environment that is not consequential, that actually respects their being, by them to be free to talk about the things that have happened to them fresh after a trauma rather than having to wait and repress and repress and have a lot of damage. You not, may not even realize that you repress your emotions. If you have trouble in your relationships or you're uncomfortable with negative feelings, these are probably signs that you avoid them. You know, the best way to learn to take charge of your emotions is to see maybe a therapist or a psychologist. They can help you understand your feelings. Maybe join a group where you can process with other people that have similar issues to you. You know, you can practice expressing yourself on your own. You know, you can you can journal. That's not a bad thing to do. But here's how uh, uh, overall mental health can affect you if you have a lot of repressed anger or negative emotions. We get the heart disease, the, the blood pressure, digestive problems, infections, low energy, pain, you know, not able to say what you need. Uh, uh, we don't want to face conflict. We feel connected and intimidated by other people. All of these things can happen from repression. All right. That's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. You know, I love hearing from you. And if you want to get better, practice mindfully accepting sexual thoughts. Mindfulness can help you become more comfortable with sexual thoughts by increasing your awareness of them and learning to accept without judgment. That is important if we're going to fight repression. That's our show. Thanks for listening. I love hearing from you. You could do that at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's 
Absurd Psychology. Now we have a Facebook page. So remember, there's no such thing as forgiveness. It's just repression until it comes back up. Also, man is a product of what society has repressed from one year to the next. Also, there would be no comedy without repression. Also, the more repression you have, the bigger your subconscious becomes. <laughs> and also, the, reprise, the release of repression is like when Poxahani Phil sees his shadow. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.